Welcome everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by the International Disciple Making Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism. You can go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org to learn more about our work in over 40 different countries. You can also find us through links at breadoflifeboise.org and there you'll learn about our missions fellowship here in Boise, Idaho. Today we take our Bibles in hand and go to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 20 through 24. There a test is established to determine what God should be the God that Israel worships. Two altars are established, and sacrifices are laid on both, but no fire is put on either. The prophets of Baal are to pray for fire to fall on their altar and their sacrifice. Elijah, the prophet of the Lord God, prays over the altar and sacrifice that he has laid out, and the God who answers by fire will be God. Prayer, a sacrifice for sins, and fire to receive it. That is the test for who you should worship. What we've said the last two weeks is the first step into idolatry is to put yourself before God. The very first commandment in the Ten Commandments that God gives us is that you shall have no other gods before me, And the first God that you put before God is yourself. When you deny His will in your life and you choose your own way and your own desire, when you alter what God says by your own will in order for it to conform to what you want and what you desire, you are putting yourself before God. You won't be content. It's too heavy a burden to bear for you to be the one who asserts themselves as God over God. And so you'll deflect this rebellion upon some idol, some material thing, something that you believe you need to fulfill yourself or that reflects the great desires or longings of your life and that thing will become the idol that you will find yourself raising up as an expression of your rebellion against God and your exaltation of yourself over God. And that idol, by the way, is the thing that you'll go to then to gather around and it's made up much of yourself. It's made in your image. But that idol will not remain there by itself with you gathered around it, Satan will come. Satan will empower your worship in that place for some period of time to delude you and keep you and hold you and he'll gather and gain a foothold in your life. Interesting thing is that that thing that you've made, that you've projected yourself on in order to seemingly be free of God will enslave you. First you make the idol and then you use that idol to service your own purposes and then slowly and slowly and slowly that idol begins to make you and that idol owns you and you're possessed by it and today people are possessed and owned by the things they've constructed for themselves to bring meaning and purpose and they're empty and without hope and life here is this very God you're seeking to be free from who would come to you and bring you into real freedom when you come before him and you worship the eternal and almighty God, his life begins to be poured out to you, and your life begins to reflect the steadiness and broadness of that God, the infinite, unlimited opportunities of that God who is inviting you to himself. Israel has become bound by the territorial God of Baal, And they have been bound by the whims and rules of Ahab and Jezebel who lead them in the worship of Baal. And it's time for them to be drawn out from that idolatry. The other thing we've said is the way back from idolatry is to activate your wills. You have to choose who and what will be God in your lives. God calls for this choice because God is a jealous God and he 
wants to be the one who is shaping and molding your life and he will not share your life with the company of other gods. And so what God does in this case is he proposes a test to guide the people's will back to himself. And the test is a test that involves three things. We said it involves the test of prayer and the test of an atoning sacrifice and the test of fire. The God who answers the prayer is the God who demonstrates that he alone can offer and bring forward the sacrifice that will atone for the sins of the people. God will demonstrate that by sending fire. And so we have the prophets of Baal gathering together on Mount Carmel, and there they are laying out their sacrifice, and there they lay out the wood on the altar and the sacrifice on top of their altar that is constructed there on Mount Carmel, and they pray all day long, and they begin to cut themselves, and... Elijah is mocking them that maybe Baal is sleeping and he's gone away on a visit somewhere. He's traveling and maybe they need to cry a little bit louder and they bleed themselves out before the altar and Baal never answers and no fire comes down upon the sacrifice that they lay in that place. And then Elijah comes and he gathers together before the place where the altar to God had been established. Someone had established a place and an altar where God could be met for the people of Israel and there Elijah begins to take 12 large stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and he tells them, listen, this is because God has said you shall be named Israel, a prince with God. And he's pointing out the people's sin. They're to be the princes with God, but instead they become worshipers of Baal and owned by Baal. He reconstructs the altar. He puts the sacrifice on top. He pours water over it. He builds a trench around the altar. He pours water on it once, twice, three times He prays, and God answers, and fire with a crack comes down upon the sacrifice and consumes the sacrifice and the wood and the altar and the water. The people are left saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. One of the things, you, by the way, you need to see here is this is not a challenge of tricks. This is not a challenge of who can send fire and who cannot send fire. The Bible warns us against false prophets. And on more than one occasion, Satan actually is demonstrated in Scripture with a capacity or ability to send fire from heaven. In Revelation 13, 13, we read about a beast that will rise up over the land as a representative of the dragon, a false prophet of Satan himself. And he is empowered by Satan to, in the last days, express the falseness of his teaching It says there in 13.13 that he will do great wonders so that he can make fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. There's such a thing as false fire. There's such a thing as phenomenon confirming power that belongs to Satan himself. But the false fire does not conform with the purpose and plans of God. God's purpose is is to redeem through an atoning sacrifice a sinful people and restore them by grace to relationship with himself. And any spiritual phenomenon that doesn't turn the hearts of people back to God and to bring them to a place where they are repentant and in faith looking to God alone to be restored to him alone is false fire. Anything that exalts man's teaching and man's ideas and not God's word and God's way and God's purposes. It's false. So understand that Satan can do these things, but on this occasion, 
God doesn't allow him to. In order that God might, by withholding Satan from expressions of this power, that God might demonstrate his ultimate power alone to atone for our sins and forgive us and restore us to himself. That's what's happening here. That's what's taking place. So here are some questions that I want to answer this morning with us. And the, the question is, what does this fire represent that comes down? The next question is, how does this fire demonstrate God or is a demonstration of God and how God answers the test of prayer and atoning sacrifice? How does this demonstrate God's answer to the test of prayer and atoning sacrifice? And the third question is simply this. You might remember that what precedes this is a period of tremendous drought in which the the heat of the day is destroying all the vegetation and the people are living under this drought for three years. You know what they want? They want rain. You know what they don't want in drought when you haven't had rain for three years? You don't want fire. It's not a good thing. But God sends fire first and not rain. And so the last question we'll ask is why fire first and not rain? Let's answer these in order. What does the fire represent? The answer to that is the fire represents the presence of a holy God. When God condescends to make himself known, he often does it with different physical phenomenon so that we might begin to comprehend his greatness and his awesomeness. You'll recall that in past messages that we preached a few months ago, where we spoke about the idea of the holiness of God, we said that the word holy, the word holy in Hebrew actually means other. When it's attributed to God, it means basically incomprehensibly other. Something that we cannot explain or define or understand or comprehend. That God is so far beyond our comprehension, we learned at that time, taking the vision that Isaiah had in Isaiah chapter 6 of the angels in God's throne were worshiping. We learned at that time that the angel, when they worship in God's presence, can find no other word to describe what they're being exposed to when they're in the presence of God. And so they're left to cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy. They're saying incomprehensibly other, incomprehensibly other, incomprehensibly other. We do not know what we're seeing. We do not know what we're encountering. Beyond our ability to comprehend is the Lord God Almighty. They say it three times over. But as God reveals this incomprehensible greatness to others, as he expresses it to us in phenomena that we can relate to, very often throughout Scripture, he reveals himself to us in fire. And so throughout the Bible, we'll see images of, for example, the angel of the Lord ascending in a flame of fire before the people. Or we'll see the image of God making himself known to the people of Israel as fire descending upon Mount Sinai. Or as fire that comes between them and the advancing armies of Egypt. Or fire that comes down upon the tabernacle after they had built it. And on almost every occasion when God reveals this intense fire, the people are warned to stay away and not come near. And those who look upon the fire are blinded by its intensity. Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 1 has a vision of God. In verse 4 he writes this of his vision of God's advance or approach towards him. God comes to him as a, quote, whirlwind coming out of the north, a great cloud with raging fire engulfing itself 
and brightness all around it and radiating out from the midst of it is the color of amber in the midst of the fire. I mentioned this when we spoke about this topic in the past a number of months ago, that when we were raising our children, we told them not to look at the sun. It has life in it. It brings life to us and it brings life to the earth, but you don't want to look at it, it'll blind you. You can't go near it or it will destroy you. Fire expresses this holy otherness of God's presence. It's fearful, it's unapproachable. The Bible says of God that he dwells in unapproachable light. The Bible says of God that he's a consuming fire and yet there is no life without him. God reveals himself in these phenomenal events and he reveals himself by the actions of those who encounter him in those events. Here in Mark Carmel, he reveals himself to the people as a consuming fire and a God whom they have grievously disobeyed, by the way. A God whom they have opted out in order to opt in with Baal. Instead of worshiping God, they've turned to worship Baal, but here the assembled multitude has a demonstration of the holy otherness of God and His powerful presence, and when the fire falls, they are filled with awe and fear. And all they can say over and over again is, the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. Then the presence of a holy God God of incomprehensible, potent otherness. Well, thank you for listening to the Ministry of the Bread of Life. To learn more about our ministry, let me suggest you go to one of two websites. First, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, to learn more about the work we're doing all over the world to equip and engage the body of Christ in personal evangelism, discipleship, and church planting. Or to learn about our work in your community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.